Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, thank you to our worship team for doing a fantastic job today here, and I know Corbin did a great job at Rock, uh, uh, Rossville as well. Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bible, I started a few weeks ago a sermon series entitled a Scattered, uh, how to be being the church without the church when we were scattered for all those weeks. We still are scattered today, but no one was able to be here but some staff and our great guys in the uh, sound booth who were video stuff who helped us pull it off. Like, like we, we just, so few here. So how do we operate as a church? How do we carry on? And I know really hundreds and hundreds of you still watching from home today. How do we operate as a church that way? Well, it's not the first time that's ever happened. So today I want to preach on this subject. Uh, keep going, Philippians chapter 2. And so far, we've taken kind of a, macro approach, and they want to take a micro approach. It's all based on this verse out of Acts 8.1. Saul agreed with putting him to death, and on that day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Scattered. All except the staff were scattered. And so they kept operating and functioning as a church. And so what we want to look at over these next few moments is how do we do that? And today, what I'm going to do is drill down more, not at the church level, but drill down more at the personal level. So let me, let me do that here this morning. We, it doesn't take a lot of research to know that in America, we don't like to lose. As a matter of fact, we don't lose well. An NP article uh, uh, took a look at the effect of rooting for those who lose. And here's what they figured out. That when you're watching a sporting event, that you can tell when somebody is losing by looking at the expressions on their face and their body language. As a matter of fact, here's what they did. They, they let people watch basketball and ping pong. And yes, ping pong is a sport. They let them watch basketball and ping pong. And they let them look at them, and then without them knowing the score, no scores on the board, they, they, they let them determine who was winning and who was losing in basketball or in ping pong. And guess, I want you to, how long did it take before an observer could tell who the loser was? Do you have any idea? How long would it take in a ping pong match to know if you're winning? How long does it take in a basketball game to know if you're winning or losing? I'll tell you. Glad you asked. Here we go. Ready? Four seconds. Your body language and your facial expression screams to the world, I hate losing in four seconds, they could figure it out. Not only that, they could determine not only if you were losing, but if it was a blowout, they could predict a blowout. We don't like to lose. Years ago, they thought uh, if uh, countries played one another at the high school level, like in sports, it would make the countries want to get along better. So in Europe, they thought they'd try it, and they had high school player, uh, soccer teams play uh, soccer teams from high schools in other nations. And they thought, well, the, 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 the camaraderie of sports would make them um, love the other country. But here's what they figured out, and they, they studied Germany specifically. Here's what they figured out, that, <laughs> uh, that after Germany lost, the high schoolers had a more negative view of the country in general than before they played them. 
So they had to scrap all that because it didn't work. We hate each other now that they've beat us. You know why? Because we don't, we don't take losing very well. They just studied the same thing in America with NFL teams. Did you know that when they did the research in America, they discovered that when your NFL team loses, you have a tendency to eat foods loaded with saturated fats. It's why if you're a Falcons fan, you look like this. <laughs> and the researcher said this, after a crushing defeat, a losing fan finds comfort in comfort food. Can I tell you this? I could have saved you the dime on that research, right? Like, there's nothing to help you get over a loss like a bag of Doritos after it's over, right? Like, I, I, we just, we hate to lose, man. We hate to lose, especially in America. We hate to lose. We hate to lose in sports. Now, granted, some of you who support, and su support certain teams, you're used to losing by now. And this doesn't really apply to you as you're good with it. But for the rest of us in the SEC, <laughs> we don't like to lose. Except we have one problem. The place we really ought to be upset with losing is in the Christian life. But the problem is that we have got so used to losing in the Christian life that we have come to accept losing as the norm for the Christian life. What do you mean? Too many of us have got accustomed to losing to our enemy when it comes to our habits, for example. Like, like we, we have these bad habits. We can't overcome them. The habits always defeat us, and our enemy defeats us. And we just kind of have accepted that, oh, I can't have new habits and get rid of the old. I've lost when it comes to sin. The enemy has a sin in your life that you cannot hardly get over. And listen, if you were losing at sports the way you were losing at sin, you would be devastated. But we've kind of got accustomed to it when it comes to sin. And our enemy has tricked us into accepting what we can't do, what we can't be, what we can't stop, what we can't achieve. If we aren't careful, we've become so accustomed to losing to our enemy that we even we quit trying to overcome the enemy. We quit trying to overcome the devil. We get, quit trying to overcome the flesh and the world. And it's even more so when we're scattered. It's especially true when we're scattered. It's especially true when no one is watching over our Christian life. And Paul had a group of scattered Christians that were in that exact situation. And Paul wrote a letter to them. He said, I was afraid that, that when we were scattered, when we were apart, that your Christian life was going to get worse. But Paul said, actually, the opposite of that happened. When we were scattered, your Christian life got better. So if that's the case, we have to pay attention to that. So look in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Look in Philippians chapter 2, look at verse number 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. By holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. 
Now, in, in that passage, I'll tell you what Paul has just covered because it's important. The most famous verses in Philippians 2 are the ones that come right before this. And I'll remind you what they are. You'll know them. It's where Paul said this, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They tell us it was an old hymn of the church that Paul recited. It was a song that Paul recited. And so Paul has taken that as a backdrop. He, here's what he said to him. He said, I just want to remind you that one day you're going to stand before a holy God in judgment. So with that reminder, can we talk about the Christian life? I'm going to give you some commands about the Christian life. I just want to remind you, you're going to stand before God one day in, in a holy God in judgment. And by the way, church, can I tell you, that's a good reminder for us. That it ought to be on our minds all the time that one day we will stand before a holy God. That this is not all there is. That there is another world. That this is our opportunity to get the next world right. That one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and we'll stand before a holy God. And it would be a great opportunity right now to make sure we're preparing for that day. And then Paul gives a key phrase in there. He said, he said this, not only in my presence, but also even more in my absence. Here's what Paul said. We know Paul had been to Philippi at least three times to the church there. And even when he was separated, he kept constant communication going with the church through the letters like he was doing now. And he said, here's what I noticed, that, that when I was there, you really lived for Christ. But here's what Paul said. I love it. When we were apart, you even lived more for Christ. Get this. I'll paraphrase it, but I love the way that I paraphrase it. Here it is. He said, when the burden of the Christian life has shifted from him to them. From him to them. What do you mean? Well, there for a period, they had an apostle watching over their Christian life. They had the pastor watching over their Christian life. But now he's gone. They're scattered. And here's what Paul said. The burden of the Christian life is not you living it out in front of the apostle Paul to affirm your Christian life and correct your Christian life. The burden of the Christian life has now switched from the apostle Paul to you, which is the way it should be. The burden of the Christian life is not here. It is there. It's not on me. It's on you. Paul said, now that the burden of the Christian life has shifted from here, from the stage to the floor, let's talk about your Christian life. And can I tell you this? In-person church is always the best. If you're watching online, we're thrilled you're watching online. Like, yay, thank you for doing that. In-person church is always best. The Spirit of God moves and convicts and changes in this place, and always more so when we're together. So your Christian life has a keener edge when we're all together together but what happens when we're scattered how do you keep that same razor sharp edge to your christian life when we're scattered paul gave them three things boy they're so good let me give them to you number one is this number one he said get busy look in verse number 12 therefore my dear friends just as you have always obeyed so now not only in my presence but even more in my absence get this work out your own salvation with fear and trembling the first thing you have to know is Paul is not saying to work for your own salvation. That's not what the Bible says. It is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The words work out in the Greek there in the, are in, the, in context or in the middle voice and an imperative. And here's what it means. You have to do it for yourself and you need to do it now. One translation says to work out until results, to carry it to its full completion. It is to put into practice in your daily living what God has worked into you by his Holy Spirit. 
They're not to work for their salvation. They were to work out their salvation that God has already given them. And Paul told them when they're scattered, God, get get busy working out what God's putting to you. And he even told them that. Look at verse 13. He said this, for it is God who's working in you, both the will and the work according to his good purpose. Now, here's what Paul told him. Paul said, here's the deal. Uh, God, I just want to remind you, what I'm asking you to work out, God has already worked in. That's good. What I'm asking you to work out, God's already worked in. When you are saved by faith, get this, God works all of salvation into you. Can I tell you something? When you got saved, the minute you got saved, the moment you got saved. You got all of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and salvation you are ever going to get. There is no more to get. You got it all. The question is not, does God need to work more into me? God's worked it all into you. The question is, are you working out of you what God has worked into you? And here's what Paul said to the church at Philippi. You get busy. Get busy working out what God has worked in. Did you know this? And I mean, listen, this is a great truth of the Bible that you need to grasp hold of today. Do you know I don't have any more of Jesus or the Holy Spirit or salvation worked into me than you do? Now, that, that may not be impressive to you at all, but can I say this? Billy Graham didn't have more of Jesus or the Holy Spirit or salvation worked into him than you have worked into you or you. Wait, can I take this step further? The Apostle Paul did not have any more salvation worked into him than you have worked into you. It is not that I need to get more of Jesus. What I need to do is get busy working out in my daily life the salvation that God's already worked into me. So when we're scattered, when we're separated... My job is to continue to work out this incredible power, this incredible salvation that God has worked into me. How many of you recognize this person? If you know who that is, say it. Herschel Walker, yes. Greatest football player ever played college football, right? That's not an opinion, that's a fact. I think, I'm not sure, I think. I think this may be his first Sports Illustrated, been there several times, first Sports Illustrated cover. Walker wasn't always a, you know, a, a beast. He talks about when the tempered point of his young life was in eighth grade, and he, had, he was a pudgy, weak eighth grader, and he had just got beaten up at school again. It was a regular practice. So Herschel Walker remembers walking home after school, and he was crying because he'd gotten beat up again, and kids were making fun of him. He said, I remember going home and hearing a voice say, enough was enough. This won't happen again. So he went to the high school football coach, a guy by the name of Tom Jordan. He went to Tom Jordan. He's 12 years old. And Tom Jordan says, I remember when Herschel Walker came up to me and he asked me this, what do I need to do to get big and strong? And he said, I told Herschel Walker, I told everybody who asked me that question, go home and do push-ups, sit-ups, and run sprints. Push-ups, sit-ups, and run sprints. Push-ups, sit-ups, and run sprints. And here's a pudgy, weak 12-year-old. And the coach is probably just blowing him off, do push-ups, sit-ups, and run sprints. He said, Herschel Walker thanked me and quietly walked away. You know what Herschel Walker did? He went home and did push-ups, sit-ups, and he ran sprints. And his older sister was quite a few years older than him, but was a great track star. 
Herschel Walker would run uphill sprints until he got to the point where he could outrun his sister. Not only that, he eventually got up to 1,500 push-ups a day and 2,000 sit-ups a day. You didn't go, ah, enough. Let me say it again. 1,500 push-ups a day there, and 2,000 steps a day. Or basically what I do every day, as a matter of fact. I mean, we look exactly alike. I don't know if you can tell or not. My, my shirt, I'll just take pictures behind the building after church if you want me to take my shirt off. But um, 1,500 push-ups and 2,000 sit-ups. We became one of the strongest men to ever play college football. Can, can, I, can I tell you something? And I don't mean this disrespectful, but there were a lot of weak, pudgy 12-year-olds in the same school who stayed weak, pudgy 18-year-olds, weak, pudgy 30-year-olds, and weak, pudgy 60-year-olds. Herschel's nearly 60. What was the difference? The difference was Herschel Walker worked out what had been worked into him. He worked out what had been worked. He got busy doing push-ups, sit-ups, and running sprints. Can I, can I tell you something? I tell you that because you may be a weak, pudgy Christian, metaphorically speaking. But there's a giant on the inside of you. When the church is scattered, your responsibility is to start to get busy working out what God has worked inside of you. That is, you need to take your Bible and become an expert at reading and studying your Bible and let God work the word of life in and out of you. You, you need to find time and pray and become a prayer warrior and become a better prayer warrior than before. You need to figure out how to repent before God and become holy. You need to figure out how to be a good witness. You need to work out giving and get busy with all that. Why? God wants you to work out, work out, work out. Get busy working out the power God has worked into you. Christian life's not automatic. I promise you. You know how I know? Nothing is. Go to Walmart today, Academy Sports, and buy you a set of weights. And go set them in your garage and just leave them there and see how strong you get. You know how strong you're going to get? You're not. Why? Because strength doesn't come through osmosis or proximity. Strength comes through working out. The Christian life is a continual working out process. So get busy. We may have been scattered, but you can still be busy getting closer to God and strong in your faith than you've ever been before. While we're scattered, that's not the opportunity to say, well, I don't have accountability with my brothers and sisters in Christ. The preacher's not watching over me. The deacon's not watching over me. So nobody's, look, no, that's the time to get busy. Work it out. Work out your Bible. Work out your prayer. Work out your witness. Work out your giving. Work out your holiness. Why? Paul said, even when we were not apart, you worked out. You got busy. Second thing he told him was this, not only get busy, but number two, be different. Look at what he said here in verses 14 and 15. He said, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. 
Now the word stars there in the Greek is the word that, it was the general word that was used for sun, moon, and stars. It was the, it was the light in the sky that illuminated the way. And here's what Paul was trying to tell them. That Paul said, I need you as a church to be the light in the darkness that illuminates the way to Jesus. That's true for you. You need to be the light, it's true for me. We need to be the light in the darkness that illuminates the way to Jesus. So the picture is a very dark culture. Notice the two words that he, he uses, a crooked and perverted generation. Like the word crooked in the, work is, uh, is in, the, in the Greek is the word skolios. It means uh, crooked, full of uh, obstacles, disorganized. It meant devious, corrupt, and evil. And then there's the word perverted. I mean, I, I probably don't have to define perverted, but it actually has a better root word than you know. The word perverted meant walking away from the truth. As a matter of fact, it was thought that with the word perverted in, in the Greek, it meant walking away from what they would call and we would call the common core truth. What, what do you mean by common core truth? It is the truth that should be truth to everybody, whether you're a believer or not. Let me tell you what we'd call it in our day. Common sense truth. Right? This is what Paul said. Paul said you're living in a dark world that is crooked, evil, and is walking away from common sense truth. Now, if that doesn't sound like 2020, I don't know what does. Have you watched the news lately? I mean, the things that should be common sense, this world is advocating the opposite of it. Things that we grew up with, being common core truths. I didn't even need a Bible verse. You know what? There's some stuff in culture that I don't need a Bible verse. It should be common sense. Except there's a whole lot of the culture we live in who thinks the opposite of common sense. And so Paul said, it's dark, it's evil has no common sense so here's what i want you to do i want you to be let me find the words here i want you to be blameless i want you to be pure i want you to be faultless well that's a powerful combination of words to live up to right blameless pure faultless blameless pure faultless okay so let me, let, me, let me just break it down. Let me get it contextually where it ought to be, all right? We live in a dark, perverted, crooked world that's walking away from common sense. Can I get an amen right there? All right. So, all right, so God wants me to be blameless, pure, and faultless. Can I get an oh me right there? Can you say oh me right there? Oh me, how am I gonna do that? All right, so God, how do you want me to do that? Because I got a lot of ideas on how I would do that. Let me tell you how I'm gonna do that. And God said, I, I'll tell you how to do it. Let me tell you how to do it. Here it is. Do everything without, say it with me, grumbling, and arguing. What? What? In a dark, perverted, lacking common sense world, you want me to do what to stand out? Don't complain, don't argue. That doesn't compute, Lord. Don't you want me to be full of common sense and be full of, nope, here's what I want you to do, don't complain, don't argue. Here's what God said. Listen, church, you want to be different and attract a dark world to the light? Here's what, here's what God said. Same what I would have, I would have written something differently, all right? So just so we're clear, 
I just said something differently. But since it's God, we probably ought to use what he said, right? Don't you think? So here's what God said. You want to be a light in a dark world? Quit complaining and quit arguing. Hey, you know humans have five, maybe six taste buds, science tells us. Like if you're a human, you can generally taste this. Bitter, sour, bitter, salty, umami, which is meatiness, sweet, and possibly fat for the sixth one. So those six, those six taste buds. There's one mammal that cannot taste sweetness. One mammal that they know of has no sweet taste. According to Scientific America, this one mammal can, has no sweet taste whatsoever. It doesn't like sweetness because it can't even taste it. You have any idea what that mammal is? It's a cat. When I think of cats, that's exactly what I think of when I think of a cat. I'm highly allergic to cats and uh, literally going to anaphylactic shock around a cat. So they're not my favorite animals, and that's an understatement. Scientific America said that felines cannot taste sweetness. It's like their taste tongues are colorblind to sugar. And here's what they said. I'm just quoting science, people. All I'm doing is quoting science. No wonder cats are so grumpy is what it said. All they can taste is sour, bitter, saltiness. They cannot taste sweetness. And can I tell you, this picture reminds me of a lot of Baptists I know. I'm afraid a lot of Christians are that way. And that's why we can't shine in the darkness. Because you know why? We can't taste the blessings God gives us. We can't taste the sweetness of living with Jesus. We can't taste the prosperity he gives us. We can't taste the health he gives us. We can't taste the favor he gives us. All we can do is taste the bitterness of life and complain about it. And we wonder why a lost and dying world is not getting saved. And Paul said, be different. I read the research. I've been around for a long time. I read the research this week that, um, did you know that complaining damages your brain that when you complain or even when you listen to complaining by the way when you complain uh, hormones are released stress hormones are released in your body and it shrinks your brain the part that's associated with new memory short-term memory and learning and emotion that literally when you listen to complaining or when you complain your brain shrinks and can I just say it this way it's true when you complain you get dumber Dumber. Like when you complain, you don't learn well, you don't process well, you don't remember well, and you get dumber. Every time you complain, you get dumber. So we shouldn't do it, right? But they said the average American complains 15 to 30 times a day. Hey, can I tell you this? We're not only getting dumber, we're killing our witness. You may not have had a church to invite people to while you've been scattered, but you could have been different and not complained, not been argumentative, and invited people to watch online, and they may have watched. I want to ask you a question. How much do you complain? How many times are, are, is, is there a cloud of complaining and a cloud of argumentative? Hey, check your social media. Good possibility. 
There's more complaining. Ask the people around you. The people around you will be honest with you. You're you're making yourself dumber and you're making them dumber too and they don't like it. So preacher, I don't complain that much. Honestly, you can't judge yourself very well. Ask someone else. Don't, listen, do you count your blessings more than your bitterness? Paul said that's what will make you stand out to a lost and dying world. That's what will be a light shining in the darkness. That's what will draw people to the cause of Christ. Don't complain. Don't argue. Can I tell you this? Let the culture do the complaining and let Christians count their blessings. Let the culture do the complaining and let Christians count their blessings. After all, if I read the Bible right, if I read the last book, don't we win in the end, right? Don't we win? Anybody else read it? I don't, I don't want to spoil it for you, but I think we win in the end. And Paul said, you want to change the world? You want to change your culture? Be different. Stop complaining and arguing about everything. I'll be honest with you. You, you. you make a pledge to go home and not complain about anything. Within 48 hours, somebody in your family is going to go, are you okay? They may not even know why they're asking. They're just going to be like, something's wrong. Something's off really bad. I don't know what it is. Nobody's complained or yelled at me all night long. Something's not right. Be different. Number three, he said this. Stay true. Look at verse 16. He said, by holding firm to the word of life. What could you do while you're scattered? You, 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 can, you can get busy working out the, what God's worked in you. You can, uh, you can be different by not complaining. And number three, you can stay true to the cause of Christ. That word holding firm had two meanings in the Greek. One was to hold a tray as if you're serving someone. And, and number two was to hold on to something, having a firm grasp, holding on for life. It's obviously that's the second definition here. But Paul says you ought to have a firm grasp on the Christian life, a firm grasp on the gospel, a firm grasp on Jesus. Can I tell you this? Too many Christians are holding loosely to their faith. I mean, too many, too many Christians are barely holding on to the church, Barely holding on to Jesus, barely holding on to the gospel, barely holding on to their morality, barely holding on to their witness. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You want to keep going in the Christian life? You want to be stronger after we're scattered than before? Here's what you do. You hold on to your faith. You stay true to the cause of Christ. We have this tendency to drift when we're scattered. I'm out of sight, out of mind. Paul said, I'm out of sight, out of mind. I want you to stay true to the Christian life. You've heard the old expression. I don't know if they had it in that day, but when the cat's away, the mice will play. Hey, the preacher is not the cat. God is never away. And when you're scattered, when we're scattered, don't let the world drag you away from Christ. Being scattered doesn't mean being away from Jesus. Paul said, do this. Quit holding on loosely to the Christian life and the church and the things of God. Grab hold of the Christian life. Grab hold of Jesus and don't let anything in the world pry your fingers off of, your hands off of the Christian 
life. Close your Bibles and I'm, I'm finished. Barna recently did research on what they called resilient disciples. They actually wanted to study one specific thing. What formulates a resilient disciple between an 18 and 29-year-old? Looking at millennials, what formulates a resilient disciple? They wanted people who had stayed true to the cause. Now, that didn't mean they'd always even been raised Christian, but what made them stay true to the cause of Christ between 18 and 29 years old, some very formative years in your young adult years. And Barna studied these 18 to 29-year-old resilient disciples. They came up with five things that they said made them, and I want to give them to you quickly. Number one is they experienced intimacy with Jesus. That is, they walked with God in word and prayer, and they had a, they had a vibrant devotional life and intimacy with a holy God. Number two, they practiced cultural discernment. Here, here's what that means. That they just didn't swallow every pill the world gave them. Just because it's on CNN doesn't make it true. Like they, they discerned the culture. Number three, they had meaningful spiritual relationships. That is, brothers and sisters in Christ. Number four, they engage in countercultural mission. That is, the culture would argue one way, but they were on mission for Christ in another direction. And number five, they had a sense of calling in their life and work. Here, here's what they thought. That wherever they were, God had them there for such a time as this. To live on mission for Jesus Christ. That is a resilient disciple. One who stayed true. Can I ask you about the resiliency of your Christian life? Intimacy with Jesus. Cultural discernment. Meaningful spiritual relationships. Oh man, so many times we fall away from God because we have the wrong relationships in our lives. Own mission and a sense of calling. That's what it takes when you're scattered. To get busy, be different, and stay true. Would you stand with me across the building? You could be here today and you don't even know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. And that's the beginning point for all of this. You may be watching online and you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. You can't even do anything I've talked about because you don't know Christ as Savior. Listen, there's only two places to go when you die, heaven and hell. And good people don't go to heaven and bad people don't go to hell. Saved people go to heaven. People who know Christ go to heaven. People who don't know Christ go to hell. Listen, knowing Christ and being saved is as simple as ABC. A, you've got to admit that you're a sinner and can't save yourself. You can't be good enough to earn salvation. None of us, none of us are good enough. I wouldn't trust the best five minutes of my life to be saved. B, you've got to believe Christ died on the cross for your sin and rose again the third day. That's the gospel. And C, you've got to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm just going to ask you wherever you are to bow your heads and close your eyes. Here in this building, online, Rossville, wherever you may be. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you may want to be saved today. And you may just know how to pray, and I'm going to invite you to do that. But maybe you need some help. A lot of people need help praying, especially for the first time in their lives. And if you'd like to be saved and know that Christ is in your life and heaven is your home, 
I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Online, Rossville, Rock Spring, pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. But I know that Christ died on the cross for my sin rose again the third day. So just now invite Christ into my life to save me, to forgive me of my sin, and to give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Hey, look this way. If you just prayed that prayer with me, it's not the prayer that saves, but the intent was to trust Jesus. You are born again. And would you let us know We've got some follow-up material we want to send you. You can take out your phone and text I did to 97,000. If you're watching at home, you just take a screenshot of that. You'll have it later. If you're here in the room, you can take a picture of it up on the wall. I did, no spaces, I did to 97,000. And we're going to get a little information from you and then send you some information that helps you know the next steps to take in the Christian life. Now, I'm going to ask you to do it one more time as we dismiss. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let me speak to Christians for just a moment? Christians, if you're at home, if you're here in the building, let me ask you, where, where's your Christian life been during the scattered period? It may be this morning that you needed to hear these words, keep going. Because some of you kind of slowed down in the Christian life, and now's the time to change that. To get busy working out what God's worked in. To be different and not complain and to count your blessings instead of the bitternesses in your life. And to stay true, hold on to the Christian life. Don't let just any old little thing shake you off of the Christian life. You hold on. So our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Here in the building, Rossville, at home you respond in your heart. But here in the building, let me ask you. If you'd say, preacher, I I just want you to pray with me. And I'm not going to call you out or call you by name. But you say, preacher, I, I want you to pray with me. Like I need to keep going in the Christian life and be closer to Jesus when this thing's over than when it started. And I want to start that today. If that's you, you just want me to kind of agree in prayer with you. Would you raise your hand up? Heads are bowed. Nobody's looking but me, but just across the building. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, our prayer today is that you would uh, help us. Lord, help us to work out what you've worked in. We've all got all of salvation we're ever going to get. Help us to get busy working it out. Lord, help us to be different and count our blessings and quit complaining. Help us to stay true and hold on to the word of life, the Christian life. May we stand out in our witness to a lost and dying world. May we be stronger in Christ when we come out of this than we are when we went into it. Help us keep going. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.